0: I recently started reading a book called Humble Pie, When Math Goes Wrong in the Real World by Matt Parker. In the introduction, he talks about how those who have not been indoctrinated by formal education systems tend to think that numbers are laid out in a logarithmic scale instead of a linear one. For instance, if we were to ask a random person walking in publics, what number was between one and nine? they would probably say five, because five, we think, is halfway between one and nine. In the book, he also talks about studies done with children of a certain age and native tribes where they were all asked the same question, or shown dots to prompt which number was between one and nine. On average, the uninitiated actually chose three instead of five, as one times three is three, but if you multiply three by three again, you end up getting nine. So when that was done with children, they actually chose three as being the middle of one and nine and not five. I had requested Rhonda to ask her three-year-old the same question on a whim, and her daughter enthusiastically responded, eight. I don't know what that means for Matt Parker's book, Or maybe it's just that we're all thinking of numbers in a completely different way from Rondo's daughter. That's why her episode was numbered eight. In today's episode, I talk with Stefania, a wonderful anatomy and physiology professor at the Boca campus. I really hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's dive right in.
1: Good morning, Anurag.
0: Hey, Stefania. How are you?
1: Good. Can you hear me all right?
0: Absolutely. How about me?
1: I can hear you just fine. That microphone looks like it is a joy to use.
0: It's a new toy, and I quite like playing with it.
1: It seems nice.
0: How are you doing? It's nice to see you again.
1: It's nice seeing you. I'm doing really well. I'm really enjoying working remotely. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm able to finally balance my work life with my uh, personal health and... um Self maintenance and self care—it's—it's it's nice.
0: Absolutely, I, I couldn't agree more. I feel the same way. I'm able to go for a walk every morning, which has done me wonders. I'm less grumpy throughout the day, and uh, certainly, none of the things that I could have done when I was—you know—have to spend time driving to campus and then spend time driving back home.
1: It's amazing how driving really does occupy hours of your day. And if you just eliminate that and replace it with, with anything else, it feels way more productive than sitting in a car behind a wheel, zooming in and out of traffic. Absolutely. So tell me, Anurag, about your podcast. How long? It, what inspired this idea?
0: <laughs> so the idea came from, I had a different microphone a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, over when we moved to a remote instruction setting, I sent out a survey that Sungji actually had shared originally. Okay. In one of the, I think, either the Google group or in, in one of the two Google groups. Okay. And the survey inquired uh, into how the students were feeling in general and what their state of being was. And overwhelmingly, the response was I am, I feel isolated. I feel socially distant. I feel. Uh, some students felt depressed. So, oh, so yeah. it, it wasn't a very positive survey to receive back. Yeah. And a lot of students said, surprisingly, and especially the one from, from some of them having that remark come about was like, Whoa, really? Uh, they mentioned that my class was the highlight of their day.
1: Oh my gosh. And I teach <laughs> math
0: in case you forgot. So yeah, it, it was weird <laughs> to, to have students say that, you know, that this allows me to get away from from whatever's going on. And given their disposition in class, if my class was the highlight of the day, I I don't want to start even imagining what the rest of their day must be like. So- Yeah,
1: math is their highlight of their day. (laughs) That means that there's a lot of weirder low points that they're experiencing.
0: Absolutely. So that yielded uh, the Zoom meetings that I started Bring your own meal to Zoom meetings mm-hmm. for students and faculty and anyone that wishes to join us or wished to join us. Uh, there were breakfast, lunch, and dinner, half an hour, an hour, and an hour. And mm-hmm. it was around that time where students said, "Oh, you have a microphone and you have a deep voice. You should have a podcast or a radio show." That's and sweet. I brushed it off as, "Well, that's a silly reason to start a podcast." And then eventually a couple of faculty members that came to the Zoom meeting said, oh, you have a microphone and you have a deep voice. You should start a podcast. I yeah, said,
1: your voice does resonate well through the, through the microphone. And it's just the, the
0: microphone. Web. It's not even my voice.
1: Even without the microphone, <laughs> I think you sound very, very nice.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So that was it. And eventually it, it wasn't that I had oodles of time, mm-hmm. but... I was hesitant and I brushed off the idea because I know and still probably know nothing about audio engineering or audio editing or any of those things.
1: Yeah. It's more tricky than you think, right? Yes.
0: But that presented a challenge and I, if there's technology involved, it's then becomes an adventure as opposed to a challenge. Mm -hmm. So that's why the podcast exists. I, I wanted to learn how to use Adobe Audition Mm -hmm. and learn more about you know impedance and the technology behind how microphones work and then I went down the rabbit hole and And so you
1: fell in love with microphone technology and recording your beautifully sounding voice (laughs) um and then that led you to create a podcast
0: That led to the mechanical aspect of it and then came, okay, so if I do want to start a podcast or if I do want to play with these toys, it has to be something worthwhile.
1: It It, it can't just be
0: me reading, you know, emails that I've received over the past 15 years just into a microphone. I don't think that would be terribly appealing. Mm. Um,
2: No,
0: I don't think so. (laughs) Even though the colorful ones from students might be, uh, but anyhow, I, I decided against that. And then... I had really, really enjoyed talking with the faculty members and staff members that had joined us on those Zoom meetings during the Mm -hmm. mealtimes. So I thought there were people that I knew existed at the college. You know, Mm -hmm. I've seen you on campus. I've had conversations with you in passing. Uh, I I remember a longish, if you could call it that, conversation, I think, during commencement, one of the years but okay. outside of that, never really sat down and spoken with you or with a lot of other people that I've interviewed on the podcast or tried to have a conversation with. Um,
1: yeah. And it, it's honestly, I never thought that it would take an outbreak, a pandemic for us to find a moment to connect. But I think it really, this, this pandemic really allowed us to set aside some time mm-hmm. to, to have this conversation. I think before when we were both on campus, and I know for me and from seeing you, we were both very busy, and I don't think either of us were ever in our office. At least you were never in your office when I passed by your office, and that's because you're you're busy working all the time. Yeah.
0: No, I think that the the driving time and the the time saved from and I know that this sounds silly, but going from class to class, and I teach in the same class, but for yeah. faculty that have to you know go from one building to the other. Mm-hmm. that I, I don't want to say is a, is a drain on one's brain, but it it's 10 minutes that you could spend drinking a cup of tea or a cup of coffee or relaxing or listening really? to music or reading for pleasure or so those. It's,
1: it's part of your commute, whether yeah. you're commuting on foot between buildings, between rooms or you're commuting between your house and, and work. Yeah. It's part of that commute.
0: And I find that that was just dead time. That wasn't time that I was doing anything with. It was time that needed to be spent because I have to get to campus or I have to get to work. But there was no, I felt that that was the least productive time of my day, that I wasn't getting anything worthwhile done. If I yeah. have to drive my car, if I have a chauffeur, but <laughs> you know, yeah. a man can dream. If I had a chauffeur, then yes, I wouldn't mind the the, the commute so much. Or if we had reliable public transportation in South Florida. You know, if you could Literally, take the bus or the train. It's,
1: it's on the cusp, I think, mm-hmm. of becoming reliable. I feel like transportation in South Florida is about to bloom. It's still a bud. It's. Um, I don't know if you know about this, but um, Bright Line is thinking about um, it, having a track um a stop on their track in Boca Raton at the I Boca Raton that. library in downtown so it would be kind of nice to have boca on on the bright line track stop on the track i think that will help um for the area to see that that investment is is excellent for people who work and live in boca
0: i think so as well and from an environmental point of view i think well not to get too preachy but i feel that if uh, we reduce the number of cars on the road in terms of individual vehicles, that might contribute to the slight betterment of well, the well, the environment.
1: I, I don't think what you're trying to say is 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 inaccurate at all. I mean if we just look at currently um when viewing the global health, especially in response to um, people self-isolating, practicing social distancing, people not going to work. There are cities that have reported less or um, uh, reduced levels of smog and pollution mm-hmm. just by reducing um, the amount of people going to work and, and working remotely. Um, I even saw online, and I didn't take a moment to check the validity of the information I saw online, but I saw that the hole in the atmosphere and the amount of ozone in the atmosphere is reduced as well so mm-hmm. i thought that was like it's kind of makes you reflect um or it makes me reflect at the very least like what is the true virus on this planet was it the COVID 19 the novel coronavirus or is it really how humans treat the earth and how we overpopulated this planet and we're so condensed that having a virus like this it will spread and it mm-hmm. will come about and more, more viruses will come because we're so overpopulated um so it's it's interesting to think about what is the threshold for the earth we live on and i think this virus really makes us reflect about how we're treating where we live It's pretty interesting.
0: I hope cooler heads prevail. And I hope, I know that there's a growing sentiment uh, amongst some, I don't know if it's the majority. I hope it's not the majority of people in the United States, but I know that there's a growing sentiment that either it's, you know, a a hoax or that it was something done deliberately to, you know, keep control. And I, I don't know where all that stuff comes from. Well, I know where it comes from.
1: I think it's fun to believe in conspiracy theories for a lot of people and I think mm-hmm. that's why misinformation is spread so rapidly. Sure. But if we all just when we when we are confronted with something that may appear like a theoretical piece of information, it's good to always take a moment and go to the who's website and and confirm if that information is valid or not. Um and I've heard I love listening to the conspiracy theories <laughs> behind um, what people believe the novel coronavirus, where it came from, why does it exist? Why does the government make such a quote unquote big deal about it? But um, I think if people stop and look at the science behind it, they're, they could be reminded of, of, the, of the truth behind what's going on.
0: I think so. I, I, I hope that we can get to a stage where, uh, critical thinking and science take over as opposed to uh, a, a more populist uh, outlook towards things. In fact, I think it was, I, I won't give her name away, but it was a colleague who mm-hmm. recently shared an article, I think in the guardian
2: mm-hmm. uh,
0: that said that there's a very strong correlation between uh, folks that maintain populist views and people that think that the covid virus was something of uh of a planned event as it were
1: yeah it's it's strange so i'm
0: hoping that, that i think critical think increased critical thinking and perhaps leveraging scientific knowledge and thought or the scientific process or just i think it all boils down to critical thinking as opposed to paranoia perhaps um to where I think that that fixes or at least ameliorates both the problem of populism and also one of uh, science skepticism, I guess I'll say that.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of times um, the skepticism that people have about scientific data and information, I think that's um, reinforced when political leaders instill that doubt into um, they're following sure so
0: i think that, that it's an endless circle it is well to go on a segue go ahead tell me about yourself that's why i wanted to talk to you so it, it's not that i don't enjoy the other conversation i do uh but the purpose was to get to know you better so wherever you wish to start and however much you wish to share
1: oh what is something what, what are you looking to know
0: um, I, I left that question to be answered in the manner that you wish to answer it so that I don't start asking too many pointy things that people don't want to talk about, okay. uh, historically or not historically, um,
2: uh, in, in recent the, history, in of recent history of the,
0: the, the four episodes of the podcast that exist, uh, people spoke about their work. People spoke about how they got to be a professor. People spoke about uh the topsy turvy life that they had to lead to get to being a professor. And mm-hmm. most most recently, uh people talked about how they got to Florida or how they stayed in Florida and then uh, again, more trials and tribulations of their life and how I don't want to give away new episodes, uh, I understand. but it, it's, I understand. It, it was more of a personal take as opposed to an academic one. So ultimately all stories tend to kind of gravitate towards this vortex of how I became a professor, but I'm trying to delineate away from that. Yeah, As I opposed understand. To, but then again, I understand that sometimes people don't feel comfortable sharing personal details. So I haven't really put parameters on that question. When I say, tell me about yourself, it's whatever you feel comfortable sharing. Okay. So well, you can start with where you were born, if you want to go into those details, or what you like to do for fun, or whatever it is that you want to talk about.
1: Well, I think where I was born and all those details are a little <laughs> bit boring, okay. Um well, maybe we could talk about um, some of the activities that I do on campus.
0: Sure. Whatever um, makes you tick.
1: Yeah. And I think that those activities really reflect my passions. And I think that will allow you and other listeners to understand a little bit more about me. Please. Um. Well, to start off, um, aside from teaching, I teach anatomy. In physiology, I teach biology for majors as well as microbiology. Um, Aside from from teaching, I really, really enjoy connecting with students um, through the clubs that I serve as an advisor for. And right now, I serve as the advisor for the Science, Technology, Engineering, Arts, and Mathematics Club, which is called the STEAM Club as well as I serve as the advisor for the American Medical Student Association, which is called AMSA. It's a chapter on the Boca campus. Um, So the STEAM Club and the AMSA chapter, they serve to create a cohort for students in the sciences. And specifically the AMSA chapter creates a um, cohort for students who are pre-med and that is not limited to just pre med such as medical school but also pre pharmacy um pre dental and anything in between that's revolved around pre health um with those two clubs unfortunately with the outbreak and us transferring to remote instruction we the clubs didn't get to fulfill their scheduled plans this semester and the events that we had scheduled for the April. Um, But we did do a lot of other great events this year. And I'd like to talk about some of those events. Um, One of the events that we did with both Steam and AMSA, um, one semester was hosted by the STEAM Club, and one semester was hosted by the AMSA chapter was we took a moment to um, it's called ice dye. Our club shirts, and today I'm actually wearing one of the club shirts that um, we created an event both fall and spring where we just took a moment to get together and ice dye. And what's ice dye? I'm gonna tell you. Okay, so sorry. Ice dyeing is something that our lab specialist on the Boca Raton campus who serves as the co-advisor for the STEAM club and the AMSA chapter, um, Megan Janaik, She um, has many hobbies and passions outside of school and they all re- relate to something scientifically based. And one of her hobbies was, is to fabric dye, anything that's fabric, and she uses these this dye that's a a pigment that is a fiber reactive dye that this dye the pigment will bond to the cotton fiber, the cellulose fiber in the shirt so that the pigment can't fade away even if you wash it so it's 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 bound to the fiber in the fabric um, so when she told me that. That was her side hobby. I said, why don't we do that as an event with the students? And she worked really hard to plan and help um, coordinate this event with me. And she even helped supply some of her own personal pigments. And with the help of student activities, we acquired shirts. And then we um, did something called ice dyeing is where you take the shirts that are already pre-prepped or pre-soaked um, and you put ice on the shirts and then you dust the pigmented powder onto the iced covered shirt and as the ice melts slowly, the pigment will slowly leach onto the shirt and bind onto the fabric and because the ice melts slowly, it creates kind of a shape on the shirt that looks like an ice cube so it's it was a really exciting activity and we even took the moment and i don't remember the chemistry off the top of my head but we even took a moment to explain the steps in the chemical reaction between the pigment and the fibers in the shirt and the students i remember it was a nucleophilic i think substitution (laughs) i don't remember the details um Don't quote me on anything. I'm not a chemistry instructor. Just saying disclaimer. Um, So that was a way that we could. It was Megan's hobby that turned into an activity for students that we were able to not only create really cool shirts and stand out as a club, but also we took a moment to learn about chemistry, how pigments interact with the fibers in fabric. And it was really nonchalant. It's not like it was in your face, the chemistry behind it. It was more anecdotal where students would be like, oh, what makes this dyeing process different? Why are we using powdered pigments? And then after teaching some of the club members the chemistry, just briefly, you'd hear the club members talking to each other about the chemical reaction and teaching each other, just really briefly just saying, Oh, that's a nucleophilic substitution. I think just hearing them say that. <laughs>
0: that's amazing. They,
1: and these, not all these students are taking a chemistry course. Sure. Some of these students are math students. Some of these students don't even think about chemistry yet. And just to see them take something fun, like ice dyeing and put just a little bit of chemistry in there was really exciting and so we had the opportunity to do that event twice this semester twice this year so once in the fall and once in the spring semester and students they really loved they really loved doing that because not only did we get to create something together but we stand out now um students took took advantage of um the opportunity to um, dye their lab coats so when they're in lab, they stand out and they represent the club. And now we almost seem like a a group, a cohort on campus when we all wear our um, fabric-dyed, ice-dyed shirts. So I try to wear my 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 ice-dyed shirt um, to any Zoom meeting um, that I have, just so I can represent my clubs and the activities we did together.
0: I'm gonna to have to keep an eye out for this. I I'm not. I have to confess. Maybe I've seen it, but I brushed it off as oh, it's just another tie dye shirt, or maybe someone had a laundry accident, or you know, yeah, I, I don't th- know. These but laundry I'll have to keep
1: accidents are are definitely purposeful. Are yeah, and um, this it, next time. We're back on campus and the STEAM Club or the AMSA chapter hosts this event. I'll I'll send you an email.
0: Please do. Um, I'd love to take some pictures or, or document it in whatever manner I can. For
1: sure, for sure. We do have pictures on our Engage page for both AMSA and STEAM. If you log on to PBSC Engage, you can mm-hmm. find our um, web page for both those clubs and you'll see pictures of us fabric dyeing. Um, so that information is public. You can find that. Very cool. It's it's It was a great experience. Um, Professor Lawana McCoy, she invited her class to come fabric dye with us. And her class was, I believe she invited her SLS class. So those students got to have a, a taste of the excitement of chemistry and as well as have a moment to connect with other students.
0: That's wonderful. It sounds like... It sounds like a great learning experience in something that students don't overtly see as a learning experience. It was discreet.
1: It was very discreet.
0: And I think that those are the lessons that stick with people the longest, the ones where they don't know that they're learning stuff. And it's, it's, it's a, the learning experience is tied to a fun memory and that's very hard to break apart. Whereas if Mm -hmm. it's just a random equation or, or some sort of formula or, stoichiometric calculation that they have nothing tangentially even related to it in their in their memories then you know those kinds of things tend to leak out at least in my experience that they, they've leaked out
1: no and you're right when we consolidate our memories things that are just mundane that have no emotional link to it they they get kind of pushed back further 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 into the crevices of your mind where until you forget about it another really exciting activity that we got to do this semester, the week before we closed. We got to do this, I believe on the 11th of March or the 10th of March, I forget that day. It was just before we went to remote, the um, American Medical Student Association, AMSA, hosted an event where we got the opportunity to tour the FAU Um, cadaver lab. And the lab houses, we got to view seven donors. And we also got to view a myriad of brain specimens and heart specimens. So this activity was a, it was supposed to be a tour of the FAU cadaver lab, which then morphed into a um learning experience for these students they got to um physically dissect the donors um that's
0: a huge privilege
1: it is that's so, a
0: massive privilege
1: when i was coordinating this event with fau i asked fau the individual who leads the anatomy lab um that professor said how many students may I bring into the lab? And he said to me, well, for safety and fire regulations um, to be compliant with those regulations, only 40 people are allowed in the laboratory. And I said, all right, I will I will test that number. And we brought 34 people um, from PBSC, That's awesome. from the STEAM Club, from AMSA, from the Black Student Union, from Jakut Lakai. We bought, brought these club members. These club members had to um, complete a biohazardous safety training through FAU online. So they all did that. They also had to bring their own PPE, such as um, a lab coat, and they had to wear closed toed shoes, pants. Um, they were provided goggles and gloves at FAU in the laboratory. This was an experience that changed students. It it was an experience for students that were, students that knew that they wanted to go to medicine, students that were just curious, and, and students who had no idea what they were walking into. Um, all of these students had the opportunity to dissect the specimens. Um, alongside of me, I also brought the SI leaders, the lab SI leaders, as well as my own SI leader um, on this experience, experience. So they were able to, there were seven donors. So basically at each station, um, there was myself or an SI leader, or, and we also had um, the forensic pathologist at FAU, um, and she was also at a station, so students would rotate with um, either a station leader or they would just stay at a station they liked and they had an experience to view these specimens from a perspective just learning basic anatomy either from me or the SI leaders. Or they got a moment to interact with a trained forensic pathologist and understand the cause of death of each specimen, as well as um, view the structures that indicate the cause of death for each donor. And I think that that really brought everything um, to perspective for these students. They got to see there's a lesion in this part of the brain and then they reviewed the notes on the specimen and Said, Oh, they had a brain aneurysm and you can see it. So a lot of students felt Changed. They didn't even know they looked like that on the inside is what some students would, would reflect and say. That was, that was, I think, one of our best activities we got to do uh, this semester with the AMSA club.
0: That's wonderful. That, that's a, uh, that's a privilege and a half. And I, I, I am speechless to the point where I'm so happy for the students that they were able to experience something like that where I, I have nothing to add.
1: The Other energy in the it's, it's room wonderful. was you could feel it it uh-huh. it was it was tangible. it was you could feel the energy in the room when we were dissecting. It was definitely exciting and i I've, I've never had an event like that that had such a high turnout.
0: And rightfully so, well, not rightfully so, but it makes sense why something like this it is not necessarily you know, the ordinary, let's have lunch together or not the ordinary, but the usual, let's have a lunch meeting. and and No, let's get our
1: hands dirty. (laughs) Let's go dissect a a human stomach and see what they had for lunch. That's what we were doing. One of the best things about that experience was not only did I get to bring, um, with the help of of course, my co-advisor, Megan, and the help of Professor McCoy, and she also included her SLS students in this experience. Um, Some of the students stuck around after the dissection experience in the cadaver lab. And as a group, we walked over to, we were on FAU campus already. We walked over to the undergraduate um, research and inquiry office, and we spoke with Jordan Merritt, who works as the manager for this transfer program at FAU, which is called um, LEARN. And it's a transfer program that is for students transferring from PBSC Broward College. And it's an opportunity for students transferring to become, become part of a cohort that is specifically catered to teaching students how to conduct research in a laboratory. At FAU. So students, after we completed the dissection experience, some students felt so inspired. They're like, I-, I want to do this, is what I heard a lot of students. Like, how can I come to FAU? How can I come back into this laboratory? How can I do research? How can I be here in the College of Medicine? And I said, here is the answer. Let's go look at this this transfer program. And so after that um, opportunity of dissection, students also had the opportunity to communicate with the transfer program manager, ask questions about how they can transfer, and as well as advocate for themselves um, when expressing their desire to become part of this program, which is, has limited seats, and they have to apply and compete with other students for Those seats. So it was not only an experience for students to learn, but also a networking opportunity for these students as well.
0: I know two of my wonderful, wonderful, wonderful students have been accepted through this. And I think I I only knew about it because I spoke with you either at that commencement or Mm
2: -hmm.
0: I I don't know if it was a summer class where we walked, uh, where we crossed paths where I think you were sitting outside. And I don't know how the conversation started, but I remember. Telling uh, both those students, hey, either go talk to Stefania or here's an email of the gentleman at FAU. I think it was Jordan.
1: It and, is Jordan. Uh, they both really
0: applied and they, they both were accepted. And they're both very, very happy about it.
1: It's an excellent program to be part of, especially if you are pre-med um, or interested in conducting research and going into graduate school. Um, or if you're just interested in learning, it's a great opportunity. It's, it really pushes hands on learning because you learn with your hands when you're in lab. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a nice application.
0: The only thing that I'm sad about is I lost two wonderful SIs because yeah. with, with research, it comes, uh, responsibilities that I, I didn't want them to give those up. For uh, sure you know, in exchange for a selfish need for an SI. So I I have found other wonderful SIs, but it's nice to hear from past students and past SIs to say, you know, we we participated in this and now we have research mentors. Uh, You know, we're we're in these faculty research groups already as Mm -hmm. juniors. And then whether we decide to go into medicine or PA school or dental school, or if we just want to stay here in graduate school, it's a lot easier to ask for continued support from the mm-hmm. faculty member because they know okay this student started as a junior they were doing not dissertation level stuff but they were still doing meaningful experiments or they were contributing in a meaningful manner and I know that their work ethic is good so it's yeah. almost like a free internship transitioning to a job where
1: you it's know, definitely an internship for these students mm-hmm. it's definitely an internship and it's a good way for students to find out if if this is the right path for them as well.
0: Absolutely. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions uh, that the previous person asked, and I, I feel terrible doing this uh, in the manner that I've set it up. Go that
1: ahead. Why do you feel terrible?
0: I feel terrible because I feel, well, some people have complained that I'm being overly secretive about these things. Okay. The problem, not the problem, but the way I've been conducting these interviews is I like to have two episodes or two weeks worth of episodes as a backlog. Meaning if during a two week period, I don't have the pleasure of talking to someone, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: or if I just don't find time or other people can't find time in their schedules to talk with me, then I'm two weeks ahead and I can release those two episodes without feeling that, you know, oh my God, I have nothing to do. I don't have anything to release this Friday.
1: Yeah, I understand.
0: With that comes the issue that because I have a backlog, I can't now start referencing the last person I spoke with while I'm having a conversation with you. Which for some people after, you know, the conversation was over, they said that this was kind of disorienting that, you know, they, they wished that they could know the identity of the person that asked the questions. Okay.
1: Um, What would, what are, did they express what they were trying to attain from knowing the identity of the individuals? They felt
0: that they could have answered the question in a perhaps more uh, targeted manner. But I I said that if, you know, if you know the identity of the person who's asking the question, then you're not necessarily asking the question in the purest sense of the term. You're addressing the individual that asked the question
1: I'm so excited for the que- when you are at a point where you ask my questions to somebody that else. will
0: happen later tonight and I have a wonderful person that I reached out to recently and I said uh, you know th- these are not the typical questions that I have asked historically Oh you shared those
1: questions I did not with share
0: them? the questions but and I didn't tell the person that, that I Maintain the
1: element of the su- of surprise for those questions oh, yes.
0: Um, but the question, when I read them, I have to confess that I did not feel comfortable reaching out to someone who I really don't know. At least I've had conversations with you to where I know that if I ask you a tough question, you won't be terribly offended by it. You might just say, I don't wish to respond, but I know that you're not going to you know, run off and end the and Zoom call or something of the sort. I see. With the questions you suggested for the next individual, I felt I needed someone that I knew not similarly well, but at least I knew for a fact was not going to, you know, I was not going to run the risk of offending them to the point where they don't wish to talk to me anymore. Yeah. So I needed to find someone that was uh, vocal enough in their opinions to where they wouldn't mind sharing them. Because it's not just, you know, oh, this person is not going to get offended, but mm-hmm. that they weren't going to shy away from the questions either, that they were going to speak their mind eloquently, as I know them to do, uh, but that they were also going to face the questions head on, that they weren't going to say, no, nah, I don't want to answer that or shy away from the challenge.
1: You know, do I also get the opportunity to make suggestions of who I think you should take a moment to have a conversation Absolutely. with?
0: Absolutely. Um, you're welcome to do that through an email or if you want to call those people out. So what has happened over the past few weeks, I'll give you some perspective and then you can make that choice. What has happened is I have reached out to a whole bunch of people.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I've reached out to probably I'm pushing 60 individuals.
1: Oh, goodness gracious. Yes. I've just been copy pasting
0: the, the, the.
1: Your standard. My standard.
0: Hey, this is my podcast and would you like to talk to me on the podcast for X, Y, Z reason? Only, I would say 12, 15% of individuals have responded.
2: Interesting. So
0: even though they come very highly recommended, and these are people that I wanted to talk to as well, uh, some folks say that, you know, we are private individuals and we don't wish to have a recording of, of us Uh, Mm -hmm. available on the internet, which again, I respect. So I didn't pursue the matter further, but it's a shame that, you know,
1: I get to miss out on cool questions that I wrote.
0: (laughs) So that, that was the thing. So now if you wish to send me an email with the names of people that you think would be interesting to have on the podcast, or if you wish to name them on the podcast I'm live. I'm just going to name them on the
1: podcast live right now. <laughs> so they now get
0: guilted you. into, or perhaps shamed into participating, but go oh, ahead.
1: Well, well, I've mentioned Professor Luana McCoy several mm-hmm. times. Um, I I strongly think that you should take a moment to have a conversation with her. And I also think that you should take a moment to have a conversation with Joshua Felina.
0: How do you, how does one spell his name or oh, the last gosh, name? Just so I can search it.
1: You know, I'm going to look at my phone because I want to spell it like feline. That's how <laughs> I remember it. But I'm not a hundred percent sure if it's spelled like feline.
0: That's all right. You can send me an, an email later.
1: Here, I'll tell you right now. It's Felina, F-I-L-I-N-A. All right. Um, and I also think you should take the time to interview Joe Brownlee. Right. I would recommend Tim Siniscalchi, but I know you already took a moment to yes. interview him.
0: I had a wonderful conversation with Tim already.
1: And when you interview Josh, Joe, and Luana, make sure you ask them my questions too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, Would like to, well, I'll include them in in some way, shape, or form. I I want to stay true to the medium where.
1: There's an element of surprise.
0: Yes. in that I don't want people to know necessarily who or what questions they're going to be asked outside of the standard, tell me whatever you wish to about yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, But as in addition to that, I'm happy to ask your questions are questions that I think I can ask certain people. And know that they're not going to hang up the call, if that (laughs) makes any sense. So, there are some individuals that I feel comfortable asking the questions, and I don't know whether they'll respond or they'll say, I I choose not to to respond, both of which are are equally acceptable, uh, I guess, responses or replies. But with people that I don't know at all, I, I wonder if I am good enough at doing this. To where I can disarm them and say, hey, I'm not going to, you know, judge you for it. it. I'm just looking for your opinion on the matter, whether it agrees with me or not. That's a whole different story. But I just want to know what you think.
1: Yeah. So maybe I think, if you set it up, like, you may answer it if you
0: choose. <laughs> I'll try that. But here oh, were a couple yeah, of questions it. from uh, the last individual. I'll leave him at that. What is your version of a perfect day?
1: Oh, my version of a perfect day includes waking up late and then
0: define late.
1: Um midday like noon, that would be nice. Fair enough. Um if it was truly a perfect day and it was everything is just perfect, the sun would be shining, there wouldn't be a cloud in the sky, and then I would go outside I'd just roll out of bed and just roll outside I wouldn't walk that would be a perfect day for me and I would just (laughs) sit outside all day and hopefully the day is so perfect enough I don't have to get up and go find food and I can just have the food around me and just be lazy and enjoy the outdoors all day long until the sun sets and after the sun sets I hope that because it's a perfect day, there's not a cloud in the sky at night, and light pollution is non-existent, and I can count the stars until I run out of numbers, and I can see the Milky Way just in the sky, which I've only seen once. And Are
0: you a fellow stargazer?
1: I love to challenge myself and try to see if I know the stars in the sky. Um, I was awestruck last night viewing the moonrise. It was a beautiful full moon and it was bright gold and yellow when it rose above the horizon. And it was even, the moon has been, in the sky has been so beautiful lately because Venus is on the horizon as well. And to see that planet, just light of this night sky is, I think is beautiful. And it's just, it's very, looking at the stars puts you, I thought for me at least, it puts me in my place. It reminds me that I am just a, a microscopic speck in this universe compared to what's above me right now. That would be my perfect day. Just outside, incredibly lazy, and. Beautiful weather.
0: That does sound nice. Some of my fondest memories from when I was a child are after dinner. Uh, in, in India, we have dinners very late, maybe nine o'clock, nine thirty ish. Things would start, but I remember after dinner, my dad going out onto the terrace. We lived on the on the, I guess, second floor,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, and we would go out onto the terrace, and then he would just have his hands behind his back, and he would walk in circles. Mm-hmm. Uh, He said that it helped him digest his food, but that was his way of just walking around outside.
1: Just walking around and relaxing a little bit.
0: And I remember because we were up in the mountains and there, and we were on the second floor, there wasn't an impediment to the, the view of the sky. And because we were up in the mountains and there wasn't any light pollution, you know, it was a small town where all the lights were turned off past a certain time. So, you know, people would keep it on until, say, 10 o'clock or 9.30. And then at 9.30, you would turn it off so that, well, you don't waste electricity. (laughs) I'm sure it was a financial decision. But I I very clearly remember having the same uh, awe looking out into the, 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 the black wild and being able to count stars until I ran out of numbers. Right. or and until just, they moved and you lost count and you said, ah, oh, who cares? I'm just going to keep counting. But being yeah. able to see that, that vista is, is something I miss dearly.
1: Yeah. And being able to see the Milky Way spilt all over that black sky, that beautiful, almost white looking pink powder of color. It's something you can never forget. The, First and last time I saw the bands of the Milky Way in the night sky was after Hurricane Wilma when there was reduced light pollution because there was no electricity for light in South Florida. And I,
0: oh, you I saw to, it down here?
1: I saw it down here after Hurricane Wilma. Holy um, cow! Because we didn't have power for mm-hmm. weeks and so people didn't have lights, and people weren't going anywhere because the streets were all um, messed up with debris. So I got to see the Milky Way from my backyard, and it was something I will never forget. Wow! I even I remember identifying at the time the constellation Pegasus, and sitting out with my star chart that I have. It's like a little <laughs> paper chart that goes sure. in a circle for the different times of the year. So it was it's definitely exciting. It's a very exciting time.
0: I'm sure. All right. Moving to the next question. Uh, give me or us three adjectives that begin with the letter A that describe you.
1: Hmm. Adjectives with the letter A. Alive at home that's a
0: fairly low bar unless you meet unless you mean something more outside of you know the typical no no meaning no. Of I'm, I'm
1: just alive i'm okay. just alive and well i'm not Fair. i'm not sick or anything i'm at home if that's it um and i guess around like hanging around that's not an adjective either i guess that's a different difficult one um
0: we can come back to it if you want yeah, some time a to
1: difficult think for me.
0: I uh, want to how say about, like, sorry, go ahead. go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, I want to just say kindergarten words, like awesome and things like that. But I well, don't know. Well, if that's what
0: else. describes you, then that's what describes you that, you know, they don't have to be $10 words,
1: but definitely alive describes me. I'm alive. I'm, I'm <laughs> present.
0: All right. Again, a very low bar, but I'll, I'll take it. How about your favorite movie or film and why?
1: Oh, okay. Well, Last night, or a couple nights ago, I'm I'm I really love Studio Ghibli, and I really really appreciate the work of um, Hayao Miyazaki. Um, last, the other night, I was watching one of Miyazaki's movies, The Wind Rises. Um, it's an animated movie. Um, that talks about the life and journey of the engineer aeronautical engineer that created the design for um, one of the Mitsubishi planes I forget the exact name of the plane but one of the Mitsubishi planes that um, participated in World War two in, in the, from the um, Japanese Imperial Army and it talks about Miyazaki um, has the character starting from a um, child to adult, you see this character change and how he became, uh, how he fell in love with aeronautical engineering and how he had dreams of planes. But what makes me, what made me fall in love with this film and this movie was aside from the fact that the artwork is beautiful in the way that Miyazaki renders just the natural world in animation is astounding, but really sealed the deal for making this movie. One of my favorites is that every sound that the plane or anything makes in the movie is made by a person's mouth. So when you hear the plane start up, you just hear, and it's so beautiful to hear a person making the sound that a mechanical inanimate object would make. And I thought that was, that's what sealed the deal for making that my favorite movie.
0: Very cool. I don't know if, if things like that interest you, but there was a YouTube video that I'll try to find. Uh, I really, really, really enjoy the work of Christopher Nolan
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: uh, he wrote and directed interstellar a few years ago.
1: It's one of my sister's favorite movies. That
0: that movie is fantastic. I didn't like the end too much, but just the meat of it was was wonderful.
1: And the soundtrack is so relaxing. You just fall asleep watching that movie and have a good dream about being in space (laughs) at least.
0: (laughs) But the, the video was, I guess, a documentary view of how they came up with the different sounds. For instance, there's, I'm not giving away the plot line here. But okay. Towards the beginning of the movie, Matthew McConaughey and his family are in a car or Jeep or a truck of sorts, and they're driving through a field of maize or corn or wheat or something. They're, they're just driving through uh, a field that hasn't been harvested yet. And the issue was that if they placed or when they placed the microphones on the outside of the vehicle, mm-hmm. they either kept getting knocked off or the whacking sound of you know the the bushels of wheat or maize or whatever it was hitting the microphone was causing these unsightly or not pleasant to hear pops on the sound so they yeah. weren't able to get the sound that you would actually hear of the bushels hitting against the truck itself so it's a it's a documentary about documentary view about how they created that sound first Mm -hmm. drove the car or the truck through the field and then they overlaid the audio track on the video and it sounds perfect unless you knew that they had done that you would Mm -hmm. say oh that just sounds like someone driving through a a field of maize or corn or wheat or whatever it is i I nerd out over such details
1: yeah details like that really remind you of the artistry behind these films
0: Another one that just popped in my head. Do you know how uh, Steven Spielberg, when he made Jurassic Park, the original one, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: how he created the ripples in the water when the T-Rex is coming by?
2: No, how did he do that?
0: I won't give it away, but take a look. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Okay. Uh, Or I'm sure you can find an interview of him explaining how that happened because if you hit the cup... From the side, the ripples won't originate in the center; they'll start from the side and then you know move off to the side, uh, yeah. from one side of the cup to the other Did side. You
1: just drop water droplets in the center and like
0: nope because well, that's not what happened. However, that would have done the trick, yeah, but he admittedly or allegedly didn't want to disturb the water in the cup already; he just wanted the vibrations to come through as opposed to adding water droplets, but that perhaps not syncing perfectly with the vibration of the T-Rex stomping around or you yeah. know thumping on the ground and and being able to hear it. It that I love Michael Crichton books, which he wrote Jurassic Park and then I love the movie Jurassic Park. But as 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 a young adult, when I saw that either the video or the interview with Spielberg on how he created that, that took my appreciation for filmmaking to an audio engineering to a whole new level. I I know nothing about it even still, but it makes me, it helps me admire the kind of passion that has to go into, well, you know, you have this thing on a massive scale. No one's seen a movie with dinosaurs before, at least animated in this manner. Yeah. Why care about the small detail of the ripples in the cups facing the right direction or, or, you know, orienting themselves correctly. No one's going to care for that detail, but you know that's why I guess Spielberg is Spielberg.
1: Yeah, and that's what made Jurassic Park and Jurassic World such an exciting uh, film series
0: to watch. I enjoyed them very much. All right, next question. This question does have a right answer.
2: Oh. Hmm.
0: Pizza preference: Chicago or New York style? Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) Well, I am not. A pizza connoisseur, um, but I do enjoy a thick crust pizza
0: That's the wrong answer, <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, well, I'll forgive you for your trespasses against humanity
1: mm-hmm.
0: there There's a wonderful monologue diatribe or monologue, whatever you want to call it of john Stewart um I, I don't know if you're a fan of him, but
2: Mm -hmm.
0: he has, uh, I'll send you the link to the YouTube video, but he did a bit on a show where he explains why Chicago style pizza is not pizza. Oh
1: my gosh. Any American pizza is not pizza.
0: I would agree, but deep dish pizza or Chicago style pizza. And I, I agree with every single one of his argument talking points.
1: So the pizza I grew up making or grew up eating and making with my grandmother um, w- was a thick crust and is a thick crust pizza. Okay. Um, my grandmother is from Italy. She's from Friuli, and which is from northern. She's from northern Italy, uh, very close to the border of Austria, and the dialect of Italian they speak includes um, Germanic words mm-hmm. in it. And the bread that she ma- is a specialist at making is called skichata bread. What and is it? It's, it's called skichata bread and it's called okay. skichata because skicha, like to skechata, means to press.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's skechata bread because it's something you press out with your hands. All right. Um, and it's a bread that she's made my entire life. And sometimes we make that bread into a pizza and it's a... A bread that's flat and round, like like a pizza would be. And um, so she's a specialist at, at this bread. And sometimes we top it and make our own pizza with, we'll top it with tomatoes, fresh slices of tomatoes, caramelized onions, a little bit of like pecorino cheese on top, um, and some fresh basil. And that, that is the best pizza to have,
0: I think. All right. Given your provenance or given the provenance of your pizza, I will defer to you on all questions and all manner of pizza, pizza questions from here on out. All right. Uh, the last one, or at least from the recommended ones is a slightly easier one. Tea or coffee? Tea. Any particular kind?
1: Mm. I like, I really like herbal teas like chamomile Mm -hmm. and mint. Um, Oh, I really love Moroccan mint tea when it's prepared really sweet and sure. it's delicious. Um, I also really enjoy jasmine tea. I've um, I, i, I I've never had a cup of coffee in my life. No way. I'm not lying. I don't like coffee. I don't even like tea to How would you know? I've tried a sip of it and I don't like the smell of it. I don't like the fragrance coffee puts out when brewing. I don't like coffee. I know I'm not a human.
0: I, I know that this is not a visual medium, but my mouth was just open uh, behind the microphone for anyone that was wondering what I look like while you said that.
1: Yeah. I
0: I, that's it, it's... Sorry, my brain just short circuited here. I have to collect my thoughts
1: i know i'm not a I'm not a addicted to that coffee caffeine
0: no um, I, I not even from the point of view of addiction, but it it the smell of brewing coffee
1: can't stand the smell I don't even like coffee cookie like things with coffee flavor in it. I don't like wow that. cakes, cookies, ice creams nothing
0: but it's one of those things that's such a universal. You know, handshake moment sort of thing that it 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 almost
2: it's it reminds bizarre. me of
0: people from you know different parts of the world coming together, and that's one of the things that you know would you know you might prepare it differently, you might brew it differently, you might have it at different strengths. But I would think that coffee would be the one thing, at least the aroma of it, would be the yeah. one thing that's universally regarded as you know warm, cuddly. Uh, relaxing feeling
1: no I don't appreciate the taste smell or sight of it at all <laughs> I do appreciate it though when um my when coffee drinkers in my life save their coffee grinds and so that I can compost and use that material in my um, garden I do appreciate that it's my favorite part about coffee <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, I, I, wish I could, yeah, I got nothing. My, I I'm trying to think of anyone else that perhaps feels the same way. And I can't think of, of anyone that it's one thing I'm, I'm at a loss for words here. I know people that prefer tea to coffee, mm-hmm. but they don't dislike coffee. They just like tea better.
1: Yeah, I just don't like coffee. So my only option <laughs> is
0: tea. All right. I, I won't hold it against you. It's, it, I, Well, I was going to ask you that, you know, the second to the last question was going to be, tell me something that other people might not know about you. And I think that that answers that question as well, quite well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that I don't like coffee. That's a pretty basic one. Um, but to answer that question, sure. I think in its fullest extent, something that I don't people, don't think people know about me is that I actively compost all of my organic materials that I produce, um, as well as I compost the organic materials people produce and save for me. I don't um, discard any organic uncooked batter into the trash can um, because I feel this overwhelming anxiety about the landfills that and the space for landfills we have at a local level here in South Florida and driving in the Tri-County area for example when i drive on Powerline um north or south and i'm at the intersection of Powerline and Wiles and i look west and i see the um landfills that waste management um, has. I'm reminded by how much waste we, as a society, create, how much waste we create in such a short amount of time. Um, the landfill, for example, on Powerline and Wiles, um, waste management has created a third, um, like, landfill site that they're going to be building up um the other two sites are at max capacity and those two sites on that same property on Powerline and Wiles is they're being uh closed in the sense they're the mounds are going to be covered with grass and then the mounds will slowly um degrade the material inside the mounds um so looking at the third one the one that was created like in the past couple years is already massive and every day I drive by that and I saw it that that third landfill when it first opened. And when I drive by that that landfill is as tall as a three story building when you drive by it now. I mean wow. it is huge. And it was opened just a few years ago. That one plot on the larger plot that waste management has on Power Line sure. and and Wiles. That it's a huge plot that transcends between wiles and um sample road um so seeing that and it goes from power line all the way west towards the turnpike um just seeing how that plot grows every day it drives me insane and i thought to myself what can i do so i started the journey of composting my organic material that I produce, just so I could reduce the amount of waste that I contribute to that landfill. Um, And I've been composting for a couple years now, and I've gone through many trials and errors and technical difficulties during the process. But I think I've slowly have mastered the art of composting, especially at a suburban level, and I underline at a suburban, urban, and bold level um, because you the way you compost in the suburbs is not the same, and it doesn't even allow for the same variety of composting techniques as you can do in a rural area if you had more land. Um, so my passion for composting is from the anxiety I have from seeing that landfill grow. And one of the things that I have incorporated into the STEAM Club is that we have a garden in the secret garden that's on Boca campus. We have a garden plot and we grow materials, plants, food, plant, food based plants in our garden plot, but we also compost in the garden plot as well. And we have a rotating composter on campus. And one of the special things about composting is that in the process of throwing away your organic material, like, for example, um, and this is a great example. One of the things we did with the STEAM Club is Megan Janay, the lab specialist, the co-advisor of the STEAM Club, scored, and I mean scored, a free donation of pumpkins from Home Depot, I think somewhere nearby, a local Home Depot. Sure. And... We had a pumpkin carving event and um, we got to carve these free pumpkins. Well, actually we painted these free pumpkins. We didn't carve, I apologize. Um, But some of the discarded materials from these pumpkins were the seeds. And I took those seeds and the discarded pumpkin debris and composted it in my rotating composter on campus. And with, the composter it gives a chance for seeds to to sprout, and even though I'm throwing waste actively into the composter and turning it, some of the seeds just start to sprout and so when I open the composter the rotating composter each day and look inside, I can sometimes see sprouts of little seedlings and some of the seedlings I collected were pumpkin seedlings from our free pumpkin um, painting experience. Um, And then we grew those pumpkins in the garden that the steam club
2: has.
1: So So a question. uh, Go ahead.
0: Is the access to this garden limited to members of the club, or is this something that people at the Boca campus can actively? That's
1: a good question. Shall I say
0: contribute to Uh, instead of tossing stuff in the garbage? So there's uh,
1: several plots. In that garden and the plots go to club mem- clubs and the advisors have keys to access the secret garden on campus All right. as well as the environmental club the environmental um, teacher the environmental instructor gets his own or a few of his own plots and then the biology instructor gets um, plots as well um, this is a garden that you cannot just walk into you need to walk in with someone who has a key and someone who has a key is someone who's involved with managing the garden or managing one of the plots in the garden. Um, but if you have stuff that you want to contribute to the composter, you could just save it and hand it to me and we could go and compost that. Um,
0: I'll try so to we, keep that in mind. I, I, yeah, keep well, it in mind. I hope that we're not on campus anytime soon. But when we do not- return... When we uh, do
1: return, when it's safe to return, we'll have to go check out the garden plot together.
0: Absolutely. And I think uh, not to say that, you know, that there should be this uh, overrun of people trying to help out because often they, they might perhaps do more damage, uh, unbeknownst to them. But if there is, I, I was not aware of this. So if there's increased awareness, uh, perhaps from the cafeteria. I'm sure a lot of stuff that gets tossed out there.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I thought about that too. Like maybe we should involve the cafeteria, mm-hmm. but the composter that I have that we have on campus is small and it's just a small rotating composter. Sure. I think that it would be overwhelmed by the materials produced by the um, cafeteria. It would be. Um but with that said I think it would be a great idea to expand the composting experience and include the cafeteria if we get the resources and material to compost at that level I think that would be exciting. The result from composting is you get compost which is really um nutrient filled soil essentially. And um it creates a great benefit it's like a fertilizer in a sense sure. but it's just produced by decomposed plant matter rather than animal waste.
0: I wonder if there's a a cost benefit analysis somewhere in this uh where instead of you know saying, hey, instead of you guys having to buy fertilizer from XYZ company, if you buy us a larger, newer, fancier. That's
1: that's, it's so easy to answer that question. And not just on a cost like how much does fertilizer cost, but in Mm -hmm. a global cost, producing fertilizer produces a lot of um emission of pollution sure um so it is cheaper to compost material no matter how you look at it if you look at it the most macroscopic scale it is cheaper
0: i have a few ideas brewing in my head that i i don't know if they're Good ones or bad ones, but I'll write to you once I have them sorted out. Okay. All right. For the last question, I know I'm over my time that I had requested. It's okay. I
1: work remotely. I don't have anything (laughs) planned
0: today. (laughs) All right. Well, I appreciate that. The last question is what would you title this podcast and or your episode?
1: Oh. So maybe I would title i i like your title like i need another i need a title podcast sure maybe you can just be firm on that saying (laughs) i don't need a a title podcast like you don't need a title
2: podcast
1: right um this episode maybe it'd be called um pbsc palm beach state college poker campus club activities, such as STEAM Club and AMSA, anything that could pay homage to the clubs I serve as an advisor for, since we did talk a lot about them today. Um, I hope that individuals listening to this podcast feel excited if they're another instructor. I Hope they feel excited and mobilized to serve as an advisor on a club. And I hope if a student is listening to this podcast, specifically this episode, I hope they feel encouraged to join a club because being a part of a club on campus and participating in on-campus activities is, I think, the, the best way to learn um, as well as to reinforce your success in learning because not only are students um, anecdotally experiencing some sort of like educational experience kind of slid into the activity um, inconspicuously, but also students are developing connections between each other. And those connections can last a lifetime, as well as these connections can provide a sense of support for students when navigating through their academic career. Absolutely. I I think everyone should be, after listening to this, I hope someone feels excited about clubs, whether it's an instructor who wants to serve as an advisor or a student thinking, how can I get involved in a club? And I just want to say, if you're thinking about clubs and how to be involved, log on to PBSC Engage. You could just type in Google PBSC Engage and click the first link that's prop- prompted to you on that Google search. that will bring you to PBSC's Engage site where you can look at and navigate through all the clubs that all campuses offer and see their individual club page and see images of events and activities that the clubs participated in as well as see a schedule of events that will come in the future. I know it doesn't seem very promising that there will be um, as exciting events now that we've gone remote because we have limited access to campus, on-campus resources, but when we do come back to campus um, we will be full force doing activities again. So I would encourage everyone to log on, to engage, and to think about how to become actively involved on campus.
0: Absolutely. And I'll, I'll include a link to the Something website. Something
1: about that would be a good title for this. That's episode. a really,
0: really, really long title. I don't know if the website will allow me to, <laughs> to write you know, that analog, entire thing. I see
1: your mouth moving, but I don't hear your voice. Check your microphone. I'm
0: sorry. I muted myself when I wasn't talking and I forgot to unmute it. I know, Uh, I know. I I had a bad joke about that being a really, really, really long title.
1: It would be a really long title. Come (laughs) join Campus Clubs and listen to this podcast that talks about clubs and composting too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But I will include a link to the PBSC Engage site in the description uh, for the episode. Hopefully... If yeah. anyone's reading the descriptions, then maybe they can yeah or click just on that directly as the episode opposed to would be it. Like
1: how to become involved on on campus activities or how to become involved in a club, something like that it would be great.
0: I'll try to come up with something good.
1: Thank you, and and you always do. You always do I all of that. your all of your podcasts that I've listened to the four that I've listened to have been incredibly insightful. I, I didn't know any of these professors at this level, and I feel Feel very um, happy to have had this opportunity to learn about them, and Anurag, I feel very um, grateful that I had this time to talk to you. I, I feel like this has been a, a lovely conversation, and I the hope feeling that is mutual. We can have more conversations. Um, we can have more conversations on Zoom, or or some hopefully on campus when we return to campus again.
0: I'm hoping that I can. Continue this, and I know that you know when the world goes back to the way it was, uh, we'll, we'll kind of fall prey to the same having to drive and the same yeah. habits that took us away from from spending time doing things that we think are fun, uh, or, or provide enjoyment. But I'm going to make a conscious effort to try to continue this. I know that I'm limited to not limited to, but I put an artificial limit of 100 people, mm-hmm. uh, just to have some sort of framework in mind that you know this is how far I'm 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 hoping to go with this incarnation of of the project but I'm hoping that when school reopens I'm able to do this uh you know coffee with a professor coffee with a student some sort of that where instead of it being through Zoom I can leverage uh better microphones and not necessarily better microphones but I know that Zoom, and please don't hate me, Zoom, Mm -hmm. uh, compresses the snot out of your audio, out of anyone's audio. So I am able to record directly to my computer without Mm -hmm. having to go through Zoom. But anyone that I'm speaking with, unfortunately, I have to go through Zoom.
1: Yeah, I see what you mean. I see what you mean.
0: Only because I haven't found a better way of doing it or a different way of doing it yet. So in the future, I might try FaceTime. I know I was reading last night that FaceTime had significantly better audio quality than Zoom does. Um, So in the future, I might try something with FaceTime and and see if that gives me a better recording. But I think you can't beat a face-to-face conversation just in terms of having it in the first place and then recording it. Obviously, I, I can capture people's voices in all their glory as opposed to having a, or representing them with a compressed version of themselves
1: no that's understandable That's understandable well when you figure out the the technical <laughs> aspects to it uh good luck thank you i wish you the best <laughs> i appreciate that
0: well it was an absolute pleasure talking to you as always and Same. enjoy the rest of your afternoon
1: Likewise, take care on All the best to you. You Bye. -bye.
0: Bye Bye-bye. I'm guessing next week's guest is not going to need an introduction at all. Here's a little clip from her interview.
1: I remember showing up to the prison the first day and I had a a briefcase because I thought that's what professors did (laughs) and nothing in it because you weren't allowed to bring anything into prison. So an empty briefcase just to like guard myself with importance. And I had a suit and I looked like a professor you know, very young, strange-looking professor, but a professor nonetheless. And um, by the time I got in, they took my briefcase.
0: Hear the rest of that story and how Tracy ended up in prison on Wednesday. Until next time, for another 93 Times, take care.